Chapter 11. One Eye Green, One Black. There were seven on the SWAT team, and only one of them had mismatched eyes. One green and one black. Much like the military, the psychiatric evaluations were intense enough that Will was convinced of the man's bearing and mental fortitude without having to actually speak to him. It wasn't until midnight, when the other squad members went to their appropriate placements throughout the hotel and the buildings surrounding, that he even bothered to speak to Will let alone make a conversation of it. Coffee? he asked Will. Thanks. Another silence. This one was broken by the occasional sound of cups scuffing the particle board of the end table, the clearing of throats as Will perused Francis Delara Hyde's patient file. I've, uh, heard a lot about you, the man said at last, the beginning of real words. Will immediately missed the silence. I'll bet. Your insight into soulmates uh, has made it possible for people like me to do my job and not get shit for it. You're no different than anyone else, Will assured him, and maybe it was his tone that made the man laugh, a curt bark. <laughs> oh, no, I'm plenty different. I've got a soulmate cross-country right now, and uh, I don't feel a damn lick of pain. What's that say about me? That you build effective forts and barriers within your mind to compartmentalize thoughts, feelings, and ideals into the respective places without the lines blurring, said Will after a moment of thought. So I'd say you're right. You're plenty different, because most people can't do that. Can you do that, Dr. Graham? No, he said, surprised at his own honesty. Why were you so keen on uh, studying soulmates without having one? What made you care so much about it when it didn't affect you? the man asked. The Velcro patch on his shirt dubbed him with the last name of Thomas. Because it does. The social behaviors, the laws and interactions of people around us due to the general culture of soulmates within our country, means that everyone, from the bonded to the seeking to the indifferent, are affected. And because I wanted to know the many ways in which to avoid one, he added silently. I did some training in Europe for a while, Thomas said. Then I was in Asia, working with American ambassadors on security details. The statistics for foreign soulmates in eastern countries are vastly different, Will said. Young age pairings that aren't realized until the age when the child can communicate their feelings without the use of screaming, then averaging at about 30 years old with large gaps in between. Here it's a regular old Romeo and Juliet, um, with all of the teenage pairings, Thomas said with a snort. In South Korea... We were told it was rude to just stare into everyone's eyes, so we didn't. There weren't as many soulmates, at least. If there were, it was hard to tell. Kind of like Sweden, with all of them blue eyes. There are many shades of brown, 
the lighting shifting over each and every one of them. The darker pigments makes it difficult to tell, but they are just as varied as blue and green, Will replied. The thought led him to Francis Jolarahide, which led him to Red Dragon. Two brown eyes, partial soulmate. It was almost a, a ceremony for them to date for a long time. Uh, then go through the process of looking into one another's eyes. If they didn't feel the connection the next day, they made the choice to break up or continue dating. How are you with your soulmate, Thomas? Will couldn't help but ask. Silence. The exchange of coffee cups taking turns thudding mutedly onto the table. Thomas's mouth was composed of mostly grimaces and a tad bit of bitterness. You know, I heard it so damn long that I really believed it. Soulmates made everything better. Soulmates made everything easy. How could it be hard? You look at someone, uh, they look back, and then you've got your other half right there, making everything okay. Thomas laughed a little, rubbing the stubble at his chin. Only, they didn't tell you that maybe your soulmate connected with the way you shouted when you got too mad, and they liked to shout too. They didn't say the connection could be because you both came from bad homes. Only you both processed those bad homes differently. They didn't tell you it was because of the darkest parts of your mind finally finding another place equally as horrifying and nestling into stay. Our experiences shape us, Will said. We are the sum of our parts, our minds, and our past. What we are now is what happened to us before. If you hadn't had the sort of childhood you did, you wouldn't have connected to them. The thing is, uh, they understand you, Dr. Graham, Thomas said. That's what makes it feel so right. You can say something just, uh, just so damn bad, and they get it. You say something so damn good, and they get it. It's nice to be, uh, known like that. Until the knowing is something you wish you didn't even know, Will agreed. Yeah, Thomas said, head bobbing. I thought it was nice in South Korea, with the ceremony and the time it took to see and decide if they wanted to try. It was unique, but it was like... Uh, they took it seriously. I don't think, uh, we take it seriously enough, here. I think we just slap our eyes on something, connect, and, uh, call it good. Call something that wasn't a problem, a problem that was now fixed, since you had a soulmate. That is why there is soulmate psychology, same as criminal psychology, Will said when Thomas didn't continue. It's to further study and take it more seriously the way it deserves. I guess I'm just saying thank you for doing what you do. You take it seriously, and, uh, you see the ugly bits as well as the nice bits. I read one of those psychiatric journals, the one you posted in. I liked it, I thought. This guy's got it right. He knows, even without having a soulmate, how it's not suddenly daisies and rainbows just because. I, uh... Think more people should know that. A soulmate doesn't fix anything. They... They just make you feel better when the walls start coming down. It's an act of choice to have a relationship with your soulmate, Thomas. Will reminded him lightly. Same as it's an act of choice to have a relationship with a friend, a brother, or a colleague. I guess that's why I'm here with you, instead of being across the country in Portland with her, Thomas said. I made my choice. In reality, so had Will. Molly's face was tired on the screen, and Will wished to smooth the fatigue out from under her eyes. 
You haven't been sleeping, she said. Neither have you, he accused. It smells like Jack Crawford in here, she complained, and he smiled a little. Oh, Molly, he murmured affectionately. It does, she affirmed. He smells like hot feet, Old Spice swagger aftershave, and whatever starch he puts in his collars to make them look so damn crisp. Maybe some Scotchgard? A bit of Scotchgard, yeah, she agreed. Her bitterness about Jack radiated in her eyes. How is your shoulder? he asked. The picture pixelated, then showed her again. A baggy tee and hair thrown up in a bun that looked like it'd been done one-handed. Ruffled, rumpled. He wanted to kiss away the strands of hair along her forehead. Sweep them back. He didn't say that, though, in case she hadn't realized she'd missed a few. He didn't want to embarrass her. It hurts, and the pain medicine knocks me out. I try and hold out, because I don't like falling asleep all the time. But it hurts real bad, she said. Thanks for not lying, he murmured. She stared at him, although it was difficult to see the expression through two computer screens and subpar Wi-Fi. I could say the same for you, but... But I'm a bastard he said. You're not a bastard, but you normally don't lie, Will. She shook her head, brushed the strand she'd missed away from her face. I think that's what's got me so. You lied to me, you know? I lied to you, he agreed. It was a tick just under his eye that twitched. Liar, liar, liar. Why'd you lie to me, huh? That's what we do. We tell the truth to each other, even the ugly ones. He couldn't merge the accusing words barbed with hurt with the frozen expression on the screen. He waited for it to go back to normal, for it to move and show the real Molly. I was afraid, he said, that I'd leave you, that you'd ask me about them, and I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to ask you about them, she said. I know. But I know you wouldn't want to talk about them, she added. I know what you think, although I don't know how you get to those thoughts sometimes. She didn't know all of what he thought. I'm sorry, Molly. Do you see them? At his stricken expression, she said, I deserve to know that, at least. Just enough to get the worms out of my skin. Then I leave, and it's fine. It's fine. Like he hadn't kissed him. Like he hadn't pressed himself against the metal bars like some kind of desperate animal. Like he hadn't let Hannibal press gentle, coaxing lips to his open palm. Somehow more intimate for the carefulness of the action. Okay. She nodded, accepting it. Thank you. She appreciated his honesty. But it wasn't all honest. It was lies by omission. And Will Graham was really, really good at those. I choose you, Molly. Not a soulmate bond. Always have, always will. You're one of the few, you know. Do you know how many divorce lawyers try and sue my work because married people who don't have soulmates find their way to the website and then file for a divorce when they find someone? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know. You go out to find something, chances are that sooner or later you'll find it. Her face froze on a small smile. It glitched, caught up and showed him a pensive stare. Head tilted, much like Lecter's. How did you get one, then? He thought of Hannibal's grip, tight on his wrist and his eyes that bled triumph. Sheer dumb luck, he murmured. A bit of manipulation, maliciousness. Coupled with a lifetime of a fractured psyche and an inability to reconcile the pieces of himself that bled out from someone else. She hmmed, and something on his face seemed to upset her. Have you taken your pain medicine? He asked, aggrieved. Not yet, 
she said slowly. You should. He took a sip of the drink just to the side of the laptop, remembering too late she'd seen it. Is that alcohol? she asked. Will didn't answer. He set it down, moved it out of view. What's in the cup, Will? Whiskey. Flat. Honest. They told each other the truth, even the ugly truth. I'm going to kill Jack Crawford, she swore, and she leaned back in her chair, rubbing her face. I'm going to kill Jack Crawford. You're going to get your killer. And then I'm going to have to get to know you all over again. A beat. She'd said have to like it was a pain, like it wasn't going to be fun to get to know him anymore. He could understand that. If he was someone else, he wouldn't want to know himself either. How off the wagon are you, Will? You said you'd get to know me all over again before, Will said, desperation coloring his tone. Is that true, Molly? Is that still really actually true? Do you still want to know me? Yes, she said slowly. Her lips dragged the word out, made it sound more like a no. I keep my promises, Will. So did Hannibal. Okay, he said quietly, nodding. Okay. The connection died soon after, and he stared at the background screen of the laptop, a cheerful photo of her standing beside a fountain, his own gaze drawn down to the change floating below the water. She said it made him look soulful, but in reality, Will had been counting the coins, wondering at the price of wasted dreams. By the end of his counting, you could waste the dreams of hundreds for about eighty-four thirty-three. Molly just really liked the photo. He got a call early morning, and he sat up to take it with a curse heavy on his lips. Jack? He croaked. Something happened yet? Does he always call you so early? Hannibal asked. His voice was a douse of cold water, and he was awake instantly. How the hell did you get a phone to call me? He demanded. Dr. Chilton is out, but as you know, I'm legally granted access to my lawyer at all times, he said. Will caught on to the cadence, his purposefully vague speech. What, then, would make you call me so early? Will asked wearily. He fell back onto the bed pressed his hand over his eyes. When you have nightmares, I have nightmares. He murmured so low that Will almost didn't catch it. It sounded much like he'd placed his hand over his lips to distort Chilton hearing what he said. It's rather unsettling when one is trying to sleep. You called to wake me up because I was disrupting your sleep, Will said flatly. Among other things, he mused. Hannibal... You were able to match the saliva from the crime scene to Francis Dolara Hyde's DNA, weren't you? He asked. Yes. Saliva and blood from my head butting him. Yes, Hannibal murmured quietly. Resourceful of you. You didn't wake me up for that, said Will, more of a threat than a statement. Have you thought about what sort of psychopath he is? One born with little regard to human life, or one made? Tell me your analysis. Were they really doing this? He glanced to the clock by the bed, sighed, and shook his head. Apparently they were doing this. Based on the files and what I've seen at crime scenes, I'd say he was made, Will said slowly. It's covetous, something he doesn't have, something his... upbringing took away from him. That connection to people that was denied at an early age. Coupled with abuse, both physical and mental, I'd imagine. He'd have started with small animals, progressed, wondered. He'd have known it was wrong to society, 
which is why I didn't bother looking at your serious cases of delusion and scopes of violent patients. He's smart. He'd have known to keep himself out of trouble in that way. A beat. Jack Crawford found your old patient, Tobias Budge. He had intestines in his basement. He was making violin strings out of them, wasn't he? Hannibal asked dryly. Did you know that? I may have had my suspicions, he replied casually. He was always searching for that perfect pitch. A pause as they listened to one another breathe. Will rubbed the bad eye and stared up at the ceiling, unsure how he felt about the sense of ease that they could waste time and listen to one another breathe. Were you born, Will, or were you made? Hannibal wondered. Were you born? Will asked back, challenging. Or were you made? Another silence. This one heavy was something that made Will want to press the phone tighter to his face. He very much needed to hear the answer. I was made, dear Will, he said at last. But I do lay claim to a very sturdy foundation from birth that paved a direct path. I'd say I was born, Will said bleakly. A sturdy foundation that only got worse from there. It must have been very lonely for you. It didn't sound mocking, although normally Will thought it would have. If anything, it reeked of understanding, of a lifetime of looking away from eyes and struggling to find a way to speak your mind without terrifying everyone in the room. He tried to imagine a young Hannibal, alone with thoughts that may have once repulsed him, terrified him at his capacity to imagine such violence. The image didn't quite set right in the frame. Not terrified, confused, intrigued, curious. Yeah, Will admitted. In your dreams, I notice that you are always standing alone. You may face someone, you may interact with a demon or shadowed beast, but there is no one at your side. You are always alone. I'm sorry for interrupting your sleep, Will apologized, dry and not at all serious. Time takes it away. Moments of intense emotion in dreams would explain why you saw it. Perhaps, and feel free to correct me, your subconsciousness tired of the sensation of being alone. Our kinship with our unsavory sides, the way in which we utilize it, are rather similar, although application on your part does leave much to be desired in terms of finesse. Those are well and all, but perhaps that was not enough. You're a soulmate psychiatrist, Dr. Graham, and sensing the many ways in which we are similar, perhaps your mind made the leap because it was tired of you being utterly alone. Is that to comfort me, or is it to get under my skin? Will wondered. His mouth and throat were decidedly dry. He wanted to see Hannibal. Hearing, he reasoned, would have to be enough. It's to reassure you that you aren't alone in your dreams. Whatever demons you're facing, I am there. From Molly, it would have been a comfort. From Hannibal, Will wasn't sure quite what it was. Eerie? His gut clenched even as a soft, lulling sensation made his eyes close, made his grip slacken somewhat against his ear. Okay, he said, and that was about as kind as he could make it. Okay. I was made aware that you saw to it that Matthew Brown was moved from jail to the illustrious Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, he said, and his lips seemed to caress that title. An apt punishment for his crimes, I think. You first cajoled him into those crimes, Will retorted. Only because he was sincere in aiding me. How could I fault him when his only desire was to see me with my soulmate? His tone lacked sympathy, much as it always did. Underlying it was something else. Something ugly that Will recognized as pride. You thought it was funny that he had a half-connection to me, 
well realized. He shook his head, rubbed his face roughly. I wonder just how many people in this world exist with a half-connection to you, said Hannibal, and Will heard his smile. I wonder just how many people saw something within you that moved them chemically, and you didn't react in turn. Are you a heartbreaker, Will? You used him because he was eager to be used. Yes. I don't blame him for that. I blame you. It's not me you punished, though. Hannibal's voice lowered, delicately secretive. You punished him, the one that dared to try to connect to you in whatever way he could. Half-connections sometimes cause psychotic breaks that— I know what you told the judge, dear Will, but don't lie to me. He crossed you, so you taught him a lesson. Silence. Will blinked languidly, stared up at the ceiling, then closed his eyes again. Hannibal was looking for the lie, therefore he couldn't lie and lie well. He swallowed, tasted liquor from the night before. He thought about the smoothie he'd inevitably tossed in the trash, wiping the condensation from its weeping sides on his corduroys. He'd known, even then, that Hannibal would have been proud of him, even if he wasn't proud of himself. "'Are you rather angry with him?' Hannibal asked. "'There's a part of me that pities him,' Will said raggedly. "'What is the other part?' "'Furious that he'd try and intervene with my life, that he'd step up to those bars like I did and try and speak on my behalf.' "'And it was that part that acted, wasn't it, that decided to teach him a lesson?' I'm going to go back to sleep, he told Hannibal, an assent without having to voice agreement in the slightest. Don't make a habit of calling this early. I won't like it. A quiet hum of acquiescence. Hmm. Yes, I'd imagine so. Good night, Hannibal. A pause. Thank you. Whatever the hell that meant. Good morning, dear Will, Hannibal replied. I'll take good care of Matthew Brown for you. He went to sleep and when he woke a few hours later, he was disgruntled to realize that rather than waking with bags under his eyes and a crick in his neck, he felt remarkably fine. He sat at his usual park with barbecue pork buns and a jasmine bubble tea with boba. Beside him, Beverly drank her taro bubble tea and positively radiated smug bliss. On the other side, Zeller stoutly refused to partake. Zeller thought he found his soulmate, but his eyes didn't change, she explained to Will, sitting down. That's why he's like this. I didn't say she was my soulmate, Zeller protested, at Will's grimacing smile. He emphasized, I didn't. You said it was a connection you'd never felt before, Beverly teased. You didn't bring him along to psychoanalyze me, did you? Zeller complained. I don't think you could afford what I charge for therapy, Will lied. He liked to keep his prices mid-range, something for everyone although Dr. Avery tried many times to get him to up prices due to the amount of work put in. He reasoned that poor people needed just as much therapy as the rich. Beverly laughed, delighted. I don't need therapy. I just thought we had a connection, he grumbled. Will politely sipped his tea drink with a sealed lid on top, boasting a questionably wide-mouthed panda. The air was hot around them, and the name of the game was waiting. Waiting on Red Dragon. Waiting on Molly to heal waiting on his eyes to go back to the way they were. Will would be waiting a long time for that last one. Besides, did you see that back there? If Graham and I had soulmates, we could have gotten a discount on drinks. What kind of shit is up with that? If a place gave discounts just because you didn't have a soulmate, there'd be a boycott, an uproar. Besides, did you see that back there? If Graham and I had soulmates, we could have gotten a discount on drinks. 
What kind of shit is that? If a place gave discounts just because you didn't have a soulmate, there'd be a boycott. An uproar. Graham, help me out here. Seller motioned to him, annoyed at Beverly's snickering. If you want a discount, you could always get colored contacts, Will said dryly. Oh, come on. I'm not that desperate, Seller groused. I am, Will thought. It's not all that it's cracked up to be, Beverly attempted to console him. The dimples on either side of her mouth gave her away, though. Right. Things aren't just suddenly easy because you have a soulmate, Zeller scoffed. Guess who gets more time off? Guess who gets reimbursed for travel because of the emotional tax it takes? Guess who gets their own holidays off? Who gets travel packages at better discounts? Who literally almost dies the moment they feel the sudden loss of the person they connected to? Will cut in. There is a point when the soulmate is near death that their partner feels it so acutely that their body thinks it's the one dying and attempts to shut down. He cast a look to Beverly, who nodded her assent as she sipped her tea. It's a give and take, he continued ruthlessly, to make up for the inevitable end. That quieted Zeller. He'd known Beverly for a long time, knew her when she'd lost her soulmate. He'd probably been there when she'd first felt the sensation of loss, of separation so acute it nearly killed her. Will chewed a pork bun morosely, and mulled over his own soulmate. He should go see him, reasoned that it would only infuriate him to see him behind the glass wall. Do you think the Red Dragon is going to go for it? Beverly wondered in the quiet. If so, I've got guys on me. Will nodded to a spot where he noticed one of them posted up. This is an approved public space. Sniper's up on a rooftop, too. Jesus Christ, Zeller muttered. How comfortable is Kevlar? Beverly asked. Not very. A beat. If he's serious, though, it's a headshot. They'll get him, but he'll get me first. You don't sound very concerned, Beverly said. I'm not. A lie. He wasn't going to concern them, though. Not when it was his idea in the first place. He wouldn't back down, no matter how much sweat stuck to his shirt now that there was an added layer of Kevlar between the undershirt and the plaid. Just down the hill from them, two people wandered, lost. At visually seeing one another, one let out a shout and the other ran, meeting in the middle where they collided and kissed. The embrace desperate, meeting. Will stared, fingers curling into the soft dough, unconsciously. Get a room, Zeller muttered. First meeting after the connection? Beverly asked Will. Will frowned, chewed nice and slow. He washed the food down, wiped his mouth, nodded. They found each other, didn't know where to go till they got there. He thought of Molly and how she'd kissed him in the cafe they met at the next day. He'd called her as early as was acceptable, checking and rechecking his eyes in the mirror. Two seafoam blue. She answered the phone, breathless, asked him to meet her somewhere. Two brilliant baby blues. She'd kissed him with the relief, made his skin go cold, but his breath speed up. She'd apologized. He'd apologized. And they ate their sandwiches and sipped Italian sodas, peeking glances at one another in between bouts of looking out the window. When she went to leave, he asked her out to dinner. You think it's always like that? Zeller asked. He too couldn't look away, a sense of longing that Will felt on the tip of his nose and down to his feet. No, Will said. He'd given enough therapy that Zeller wasn't going to argue his reply. I was mad, Beverly said with a grin. I'd been dating someone else. Then this one comes along and just threw that out of the water. The guy I'd been dating said he wasn't going to date someone with a soulmate. What if he missed his own chance because of me? I told him no way, but you know how it goes. How's it go? Zeller prompted. You think about them a lot. 
You want to touch them a lot, and it makes the thoughts go away when you do. You want to hear their voice. You want them to like you. When they're upset, you get upset, because you want it all to be perfect for them. So you hold hands once, and you speak so that you can hear their voice. You reason it makes sense. Ease the feeling in your fingers. You fight their battles, because only you can keep them safe in your mind. The next thing you know, it just feels right to be with them. Why anyone else? That's a little unromantic, Zeller said. There's nothing romantic about chemical compounds holding you hostage to your desires, Will said thinly. Will thought of Thomas, pained by the connection to his soulmate being their anger and their childhood. He thought of Hannibal calling him early in the morning to reassure him that even in his worst dreams, he wasn't alone. He thought of Molly on the train, crying because she had her own dreams and aspirations, and was so scared they'd all be ruined. People say it just makes things easier, Seller said. I guess that's why I'm waiting for mine. It doesn't make it easier, Will told him from around his pork bun. It just adds one more line of code.